Chapter 11 of The Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. The Old Brass Horn. The boys in our club always tried hard to keep trouble away from our little shack in the hollow, the shack that we like to call our clubhouse, where we meet in every day after school and talk over things and figure out ways to help one another. But there does come times when a fellow just can't keep out of trouble. It ain't that we go looking for trouble. The trouble is brought right to our door, and we have to face it and fight it. When old Judge Granbury, he is the judge of our town, told us that he would look to us boys to see that we didn't get into trouble, it was no more than right for us to be on our guard. You see, we had that gang of poolies down on us, and they were a tough bunch. Seemed like everybody knocks a bunch of boys who has to fight a tough bunch. And as soon as you fight a tough bunch of boys, you're tough yourself. No matter whether you're right or wrong, whether you win or lose, you are tough because you fought them. Well, I always said to myself that a boy had no right to go around with a chip on his shoulder, waiting for somebody to knock it off and start a fight. But when a bunch of tough kids from a neighboring place comes along and simply makes you put up your fists and fight, well, I think it would be a disgrace to run, and we haven't run yet. Not so you could notice it, anyhow. Pooley and his tough gang have been after us for months. We have beat them to it so many times they ought to be ashamed of themselves, but they aren't. They couldn't find our camping place all summer. But they knew we would have to go back to school, and they knew that we would then meet again every day after school on our little old shack in the hollow, the one we call our clubhouse, near the old riverbank. They knew we would come back and that they would have a chance to tackle us then. Well, they waited, and we came back. The very first thing I found when I came back to the clubhouse was a note on my desk in a nice pink envelope written on pink writing paper that smelt like rose leaves. And the note was from Pooley, the leader of that gang of boys, and he wrote that uh, they had been unable to find our summer camping place, but they said they would be watching for the time when we came back to meet again in our clubhouse. Well, now we were back. The first day we talked it over, the judge came down with Doc Waters and the sheriff, and we didn't hold any meeting that evening because we thought it would be best not to show any lights in the clubhouse that night. I'm sure that if we had done so, the whole gang of Pooley's boys, who called themselves the Knights of the Square Table, would have come and made for us a very unpleasant evening. So we had no meeting that night, if they came and they found the clubhouse dark and they went back without doing any damage. Now the next day we came down after school and held our regular meeting, and I read the minutes of the last meeting and collected a dime a week dues from each member, putting the dimes in our little tin box, which I hid under the loose board in the floor, where it would stay until I had a chance to take it to the bank. None of us said a word about the gang of boys that we all feared, Yet I knew that they were all thinking of that very same thing. But it's funny how a bunch of boys will stay quiet about a thing that each one knows the other is thinking about. 
however not one of us said a word about Pooley or his Knights of the Square table. Now, as usual, the boys went outside to play. Usually they play baseball, which our club had played so successfully all season that we won the silver cup that was awarded by the Watertown Athletic Association. So here I was writing down the minutes in my book when Perry Stokes comes in. Perry Stokes is one of my best friends. He is a fellow who was taken into the club when I was in Cuba with the skinny guy. Perry was taken in to be the overseer, as our captain called it, to clean up and dust off. But Perry took a liking to me, and he's been my good friend ever since. The only thing I've got against Perry is that he always says, Sir, to me when he talks. But you can't blame him much for that, because his father is the butler up at Judge Granbury's house. I beg your pardon, sir, he said, as he poked his head between the curtains of the doorway and between my little office and the meeting room. May I come in, sir? By all means, come in, I said, laying aside my pen. What's on your mind, Perry? I know that whenever you speak, you say something. He shook his head and smiled. Don't be disappointed, Hawkins, he said. I'm sorry I haven't much to tell you this time, sir. It's only about the Pelhams. The Pelhams? I broke in. Why, Perry, what about them? Have they been over here again? Now, I must explain a little about these Pelham fellows. They were the bunch of raggedy boys who lived across the river. Always we were having fights with that ragged bunch of urchins whose folks lived in the town across the river. We had had many fights with the Pelhams. In fact, it was on account of our many fights with the Pelham fellows that we organized this little club. Yes, sir, said Perry. They've been over here to see you again, sir. They say they have something important to tell you, Hawkins. All right, I said. You know I'm always ready to listen, Perry. When will they come back? They're here right now, sir, said Perry. Briggin, their leader, and Ham Gardner are outside on the porch waiting to see if you'll talk to them this very minute. I gave a sigh and closed my book and put the stopper on my inkwell. All right, I said. Show them in, Perry. Perry showed them in. It doesn't take long for a Pelham fellow to come in. They rushed in, and Brigand, Ham Gardner, and half a dozen other Pelhams whose names I didn't know. Well, Brigand, I said as soon as they stood before me, what's on your mind now? Brigand stared at me like a big boob. I got something to tell you, Hawkins, he said. Sure, I said. You wouldn't come over to this side of the river if you hadn't. What's it about, Brigand? Brigand's lips curved the ugliest kind of smile. Wouldn't you like to know, he said. Well, if it hadn't been for us Pelhams, you never would have known. Us Pelhams ain't very well liked by you and your gang, Hawkins, but we help you out a whole lot. Never mind the sympathy, Brigand, I said. What you got on your mind? Just this, answered the Pelham leader. There was a scowl upon his face. You got an old-timer to fight now, boy. You got an old-timer, Hawkins. And he ain't forgot anything you ever did to him. He's the Pooley's gang. We saw him. Ham Gardner and me saw him with Pooley. Who do you think it was? Don't ask me questions, I answered. If you want to tell me something, tell it quick without asking me questions. Else get out of here as quick as you can, or I'll punch your eyes so hard... Not so fast, broke in Brigand. Here I am trying to do you a good turn, and you talk like that to me. Shame on you, Hawkins. 
Shame, tell me, I broke in. If you have anything to tell me, tell me now, or by golly. I'll tell you, chirped Brigham in a mocking voice. I'll tell you, Secretary Hawkins. You thought you were fighting Pooley and his gang. Yes, you are. You're fighting one of the worst bunch of boys that you ever had against you. And you're fighting someone else. Long Tom, shut up, I cried. And my voice was filled with fear. Shut up, you brigadier! It's the truth, butted in Dave Burns, one of the Pelham's lieutenants. Brigadier telling no lie, Hawkins. Long Tom is with Pooley and his gang. You got to keep your eyes open now. Long Tom knows every nook and corner of this old river, and he's got a special grudge against you, Secretary Hawkins, because you helped to send him to the school for bad boys, where he and the others. But I didn't let him get any farther with his speech. Dave Burns never liked me anyhow. He was always trying to rub it in. Hold on, I commanded. And believe me when I spoke, Dave Burns was one of the few who listened. Hold on. If Long Tom has gotten away from the judge's prison school and has joined the gang of Pooley and his knights of the square table, it will be as bad for your boys on the other side of the river as it will be for us. But how can you be sure it's Long Tom you saw? He would have a hard time getting away from the judge's boarding school for bad boys. Ham Gardner stepped forward. Ham was a staunch standby of brigands. Ham was a good Pelham. He had lived so long with the Pelham fellows. But he had a soft spot in his heart for me. Hawkins, he said, take my word, it's him. Long Tom is loose again and he's with Pooley and his knights. Better you keep away from this old river bank until this all blows over. Have you seen him, Ham? I have seen him, Hawkins. It is Long Tom. No use trying to fool yourself. He's with the Pooley gang. All right, I said. You boys go over to your side of the river and forget about it. They went over, but they didn't forget about it. And I am glad they didn't, because sometimes these Pelhams, knowing that we could help them, they helped us. Now, that very afternoon when I passed Doc Waters' office, he called me in. Old Judge Granbury was there, and I could tell by the look on his face that something was wrong. He held a piece of paper in his hand and tapped the floor with his cane. Well, Secretary Hawkins, said the judge as I came in, has there been any fights or excitement around your clubhouse yet? Uh, no, sir, I answered. Not yet, Judge. Well, there will be soon, he said and sighed. I have here a message in the principal of the school for bad boys. I am informed that the boy known as Long Tom has escaped from that institution. I laughed. That is, I tried to make it sound like a laugh, but uh, there was a crack in it. <laughs> Shucks, I said. That won't worry us, Judge. But it worries me, exclaimed the Judge. You and your bunch of boys helped the sheriff put a stop to Long Tom's rowdy crew, and I know the first place he will come to will be your meeting place in the hollow. I don't want to order your clubhouse closed. I want you boys to have all the fun you can, but you understand there might be some trouble, and I want you to be very careful. Excuse me, Judge, I said, but if Long Tom is loose, believe me, he won't play any of his tricks on us. We know him. We caught him once. We can do it again. 
You can depend upon a judge to take it from me. I smiled at the judge, but he didn't smile at me. No, he glared at me through his specs as he said, I am depending upon you, Secretary Hawkins. And so the next day we had our meeting, as usual after school, in our little clubhouse on the riverbank. Hawkins, spoke up our captain, there has been a messenger from the Pelham side over to our clubhouse. Telling what, I asked. That a strange thing has happened, continued our captain. It has been a long time since our boys fought the Red Runners. Yes, I said, go on. But he didn't have to go on, no. For at that very moment came to my ears the sound of a far-off call. I say call, for I mean that in the old days it had been a call. It was the blast of a horn, of a trumpet, the sound of which I could never forget. Dick Ferris, our captain, came over to me. You heard it, Hawkins? he asked. I nodded my head. I heard it, I said. It was the sound of the old brass horn the old brass trumpet that had sounded a warning and a summons around this old riverbank many times in the days of Stoner and Harkinson. Now they too were gone, gone forever. Yet came the sound of the horn, and I knew it could have been made by only one who knew both Stoner and Harkinson. Who could that be? No other than Long Tom, who had been Stoner's right hand and Harkinson's rifle. But yet it was a puzzle to my mind, because I had been the receiver of that old brass horn. Harkinson had given it to me. Stoner had stolen it through three-finger Fred, but had restored it to me when he left. I had that old brass horn. It was a relic of other days. When I had last received it, I had put it on a peg in the wall of my writing room. Once more it came to me the sound of that brass horn. I ran to my writing room. I gazed at the peg on the wall. It was bare. The brass horn was gone. No longer did I doubt. Long Tom was loose again. He had stolen my brass horn. He had joined Pooley's gang. We had one more enemy to deal with. We would have to keep our eyes open from now on. Which we did. End of chapter 11